story. So what you're here this morning is problems. Stepping in. This morning we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 21 through 31. And this morning I would call, uh, I would title this, A Skillful Leader. A Skillful Leader. Being a skillful leader, skillful leader is really just about doing much right. Even when it costs you something, when it's not popular with the many, and when it's popular with only a few, there have been many, many skillful, good, reliable leaders who are not believers, who are not Christians, and I've met a few of those people, leading comes naturally for them, and they just did what was right for all the people involved, even if many didn't see it the same way. They acted as channels of goodness and kindness and grace and mercy and compassion and strength, but they were not weak. They were not weak men. No, because they could also be very firm unwavering, just, and exact, and swift with a proper justice and hard decisions. And some were shunned and cast off because of that. And we see what poor leadership has done as we look back at the pain and the suffering some have brought to this world throughout history. Look at the state of the nations even today. See leaders that are only concerned about themselves and doing what is right for themselves. Now there have been men and women within the Church of Christ, strong Christians, who have been skillful leaders. We see a lot of them in the Bible. Holding many of those same characteristics and convictions as the others did. But there's one major, significant, eternity-altering difference. They are like that and do what they do for the glory of God alone and His kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ that grows the kingdom. And it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit living and moving and working inside them. There's also been leaders in the church, though, that have failed in this area of leadership. They have sought to build their own kingdoms, not God's kingdom. They tout their own righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ. They make decisions that are based on their own interests with their own good in mind without seeking the Lord or following His directions for the good of the body of Christ and His glory. Even now, David stands once again at a crossroad, just like he did in verses 7 through 20 in chapter 30. He can make some good decisions in our text, just like he did in the previous passage. The decisions he makes here are very crucial. They will affect David as well as everyone with him, as well as the nation. So we ask, will David continue making good decisions, showing his worthiness 
and his capableness as a skillful leader during this next difficult circumstance. And some might say this morning, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm not in leadership. Can I just check out on this one? Absolutely not. You can't do that. You're not given that right. You have a responsibility to those in leadership to encourage, to edify, to strengthen, and at times admonish. You need to use prayer and discernment and wisdom when you go to them. You need to stand behind them and support them. This calling upon them has eternal implications, not just for you, but for the people in leadership also. And I promise you this, leadership within the body of Christ is not for everyone. In fact, I would say very few only. David here shows three areas in which a skillful leader will engage. First, he is always seeking the peace of others. He is always seeking the peace of others. Second, he is dealing with others justly. He deals with others justly. And then lastly, he prepares for the future. He prepares for the future. So let's start with the first point, seeking the peace of others. Let's read through our text this morning, verses 21 through 31 of chapter 30. It says, Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bessor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do that. Do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hands, uh, into our hand the hand that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth of Negev and Jatir, and Eror, and Sithmoth, and Eshtemoah, and Rachel, and the cities of the Jeremelites, and the cities of the Kenites, and Hormon, and Borshan, Borashan, and Athak, and Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. And as we begin, Let's go back and bring everything into contact once again. Ziklag has been burned to the ground, and all the inhabitants of that place are taken captive. And yes, this was in God's sovereign plan for the people. Tragic circumstances, but God is sovereign, and He is working through these circumstances for His glory and the good of all that belong to Him. David and his men find it uh, 
that way after a three-day journey from Aphek, and there in bitterness of heart and soul, David's men talk of stoning him. David seeks the Lord's will, and the Lord tells him to pursue them and to recover what was theirs. As they're pursuing 200 of the 600 are weary, they're exhausted, they're beaten down, and David leaves them at the brook Besor and pursues the Amalekites with the other 400, and they bring about a great victory that day. And as we just saw uh, last week in verses 18 through 19, listen to what it says. David recovered all, all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was miss missing, whether great, small, or great, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Now let's address again these men who stayed at the brook, the brook Besor. As we said in verses 9 and 10, these men weren't wimping out. They, they weren't being a bunch of big babies, nor were they afraid of the Amalekites. Uh, the, these battle-proven warriors, they had been in armed conflict before. Maybe some who had left the service of Saul and joined David's band. The, these are soldiers. These are warriors. Not a bunch of big babies. And I still think that these 200 men who stayed behind were willing to go. They wanted to go. They wanted to engage the enemy. Remember, they're fighting for the honor of their families that have been taken. But David forbid them to go. It may be a liability in the, in the heat of battle to have them there. And the bottom line is these 200 weren't safe where they stayed. Who could know if the enemy wouldn't have flanked them and come and attack them while David and the other 400 were gone? They're not safe. They're not taking the easy way out. So now we pick up our, our, our text in, in verse 21 where it says, Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David, and who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Now David and those who went into battle, they come back. And the 200 come out to greet them. I wish I could have seen what that actually looked like. As their families are being led back by David. And there's 400 men, and these 200 men come out to greet them. I, I think to greet them, to congratulate them on, on the victory that they had had, to rejoice with them, because all that they had had been returned to them. We think back to verses 18 uh, through 20. David brought back everything. See, that's just like God. When God takes something away from you, he's going to give you back more, just like he did with, with Job. He's going to return those wasted years. He's going to give back because he is a good, good father. David comes back actually with more than he left with. That's how good God is. And we notice that David, and we're only addressing David right now, he doesn't treat them harshly because they had not been capable of going into battle. That's why I think that David told him, you need to stay here. You're a liability. I don't want you fighting with, with me when you are so weak. 
It's not against you. It's against your condition right now. Stay. I'm going to need you guys to, to get your strength back, to carry on with me. It's not over yet for David and these men. There was, there was none of this, you bunch of wimps, look what we did. There was none of this, does this dude to baby feel better now? There was none of that. Because that's not who David is. And I'll tell you, I know what this is like. Here's why. Years ago, when I was in the fire department, I used to do that with guys. I used to do that with a bunch of stinking babies. We'd go to a structure fire, and here's the old guy. I was, I was one of the old guys. I'd put on an air pack, and I'd go in and fight fire for 30 minutes. And I'd come back out, and I'd put another air pack on and I'd go back in and I'd fight fire for another 30 minutes. I'd come back out and everybody else is like, all these young guys. I'm like, you bunch of wimps, get up, let's go. David didn't do that to his men. They were warring. They had gone through just as much as the others had. There was none of this patting the guys who went into battle on the back saying, these are my boys right here. These, these, are, these are my, my go-to guys to get things done. Well, looking at those who stayed with a little smirk on your face. No, it says, and when David came near to the people, he greeted them. And King James says, saluted. Uh, the ESV, greeted. The word used in the Hebrew, uh, you've heard it before. When it comes to greeting, you know what it is? Shalom. Peace. Matthew Henry describes it. He asked them of peace. He inquired, how are you guys? Peace upon you. That's a good thing. Last time he saw them, they were not in good shape. He wants to know, how are you guys? That's the first thing out of his mouth. He greets them. How are you guys? Are you guys okay? Are you, is there peace with you right now? He's concerned, he's concerned more about them than the bunch that are tagging along behind him at this point. Ultimately, though, it, it really is showing his kindness and his compassion for them and that he wished peace upon them. And this is interesting seeing as later on in life, David would be known as a man of war. There was a, there was a lot of blood on David's hands. But here, he's seeking for his men peace and kindness and the goodness of others. And he would at times fail in this later on in his life. And he was not a man of peace. But yet he was a man after God's own heart. And I would just ask this. Are we seeking leaders for the church who are like this? Men and women who are filled with compassion and kindness and goodness and grace and mercy and strength. I would just ask you leaders, are you doing this? Are you pursuing the peace of others? You know like I do that had we been David that day, he probably would have done the very opposite of what David did. 
we would have been taunting you with, you babies. Where's your guts? Where's your strength? Are we calling our, our leaders to stretch themselves in this direction? Enabling them, encouraging, and at times admonishing them to serve and to live like this. Are we doing that as a body of Christ for the leaders that we have here? Leaders, are you doing your best to seek the peace of those the Lord has put over you? Are we leaders, and I'm talking about some of us particularly, and some of us at large this morning, are we leaders asking God to change us, to break us, to rebuild us, so that we have these characteristics, uh, these character traits all the time, in every circumstance? Y'all know me. Some of you know me a little bit better than the rest. I struggle, and it, and it costs me a lot with my family. But I didn't show enough grace and mercy and compassion to others. Psalm 34, verse 14. <coughs> Psalm 34. In verse 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue. It's a call for every one of us, especially for leadership. And turn over to the New Testament, to Matthew. Some are already nodding, they know right where I'm going. Matthew chapter 5. And verse 9. Bless the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Go a little bit further to Paul speaking in the book of Romans in chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, hear that? So far as it depends on you, you can do it. Let peace be upon Lastly, turn all the way towards the back of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace. With everything. For the holiness without which no one will see. And listen, you can still seek the peace of others and yet still be a very capable, mighty, strong warrior. A true warrior seeks peace at every turn and engages with force only when necessary. Jesus, is he not the Prince of Peace? And at the same time, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Is Jesus not the Lamb of God? 
And yet at the same time in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15, it says from his mouth comes a sharp, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And don't forget, we'll gather say that every one of us in this room is a leader in some way, some fashion or form, in your homes, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in other places, for which you frequent. And you are called to seek the peace of others. Amen. Second point is this. Dealing with others justly. We turn back and we, and we look in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and let's look at verses 22 through 25 where it says, Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do this. Do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his... For as his share is who goes down into, into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They, are, they, they, they shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. We see that wickedness of men's hearts is never far behind our greatest victories and joy that come to us in this life. It seems like there always ends up being a fly in the ointment, doesn't it? Or a worm in the rice. Really, in China. Great big bowl of rice, beef and broccoli, I think. Uh, I think there was something called, uh, they're fried xiaojiaozi, uh, which are little small dumplings that are fried. My bowl was half empty. Second or third bowl. <laughs> and there it was. Half that bowl gone, and there's that little inchworm looking thing <laughs> squirming around in my bowl of rice. I picked it out, stirred the bowl a little bit, and kept on eating. <laughs> Isn't that just typical, though? This has been a great moment for David. Then boom, there's the worm in his rice. These are guys that we're talking about that said this from chapter 22 in verse 2. And once you go over there, see First Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, it says, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and they were with him about 400 men. Some of these guys were complaining here. Probably some of these men right here that were with them in the beginning that came to David because they were in distress, because they were in debt, because they were bitter in soul. And here these guys are complaining about what's going on. Even within this group of men that are with David, 
They're with David, the soon-to-be king. There were some worms. There were some, there were some warts in there, uh, some ingrown toenails, some fever blisters right there within David's company. Men who just caused problems. And I guarantee that probably most of these men were the same ones that were calling for David to be stoned earlier. The King James calls them wicked men and men of uh, Belial. Belial meaning worthless or the personification of evil. We all understand and we all understand why. What they want to do just is not right. Because the 200 didn't go into battle, they stayed with the supplies. Some of those 400 men wanted to cut them off and cut them out. They were done with them. Essentially, they're like dead to them. We don't even want you around. In fact, they say, take, what's, take your wife and your kids and depart. They're the ones who are in the background during all this grumbling. You bunch of stink babies. Bunch of wimps. We go out, we do all the work. We're the ones who are, who are close to shed, shedding our blood for you bunch of babies that decide to stay home. You guys didn't do anything for this. And as our text said, you guys didn't go, so you get nothing <coughs> except your wives, your children, and your lives. They didn't even want them, those men to have their own property back. Think about that. See, they took their property and they took their and they took their families. They don't even want them to have their own property back. Probably the same guys who wanted to stone David. They're in Ziklag. These men are filled with greed, greed and covetousness, and they, they were wanting to cheat their fellow man out of what was rightly theirs, and more so give them none of the excess that they took. Yeah, these guys are men of Belial. They truly are. They're worthless when you do that to your fellow man. But look at what David does. He steps in as a skillful leader, just like he should do, and deals justly with all of them that are involved. We, we see that there. He, he, he comes down on them a little bit. You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They, they shall share alike. David's, David's being strong and firm here with these guys. So David points out, David just points out a couple things. It was all from God. He gave us the victory. He gave us the spoil. We then will be good stewards dealing fairly with our brothers who did no wrong, who stayed behind. It was God's preserving power that has done this for us. So we're going to honor him by honoring our brothers that stayed here. These are brothers who have done nothing wrong by staying behind and guarding the supplies. Remember, it could have gone sour for these guys that stayed behind very quickly. Another group of, of Amalekites could have come along. Any other nation that just happened to be tra traipsing through there, they could have come upon them and, and destroyed them. So they weren't safe. He points out there was no wisdom in what they were wanting to do. No truly wise man would agree to that plan. 
And when we look at in verse 24, who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into, into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share <coughs> alike. In many ways, this is a confirmation of what had already been done in the past. Precedence had already been set way back in the book of Numbers. Turn there for a second. Go back to Numbers chapter 31. David's not doing anything here that really shouldn't be expected. The Lord tells Moses, take, take vengeance on Midian. Destroy Midian. So look at verses, 20, verses 25 through 27 of chapter 31 in Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, take the count of the plunder that was taken, both of man and beast, you and Eleazar, the priest, and the heads of the father's house of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts, between the warriors who went out to the battle and all the congregation. David's behaving justly. He's behaving fairly here. Same thing happened if you stop and think about it way back in Genesis with, with Abraham. When they went and he brought back all the stuff for, uh, for, for uh, Lot and the kings of Sodom and all those places. They brought it back. They distributed it. They didn't keep it in. And then... He makes it a statute to be followed that follows him to the throne when he when he res, when he resides on the throne. That was of old. It's going to, it shall be in the present and it will be into the future. He just let them know this is going to stand, guys. I don't know if he said it, but he may have said, "This is how it's going to be. I love you, but if you don't like it, that's your problem. We're not changing this." David did what was fair, what was just, what was right, what was good, by all of them involved. And he did this tactfully also. He did it with gentleness, with moderation. He didn't do it arrogantly and overbearingly. He used just enough force to get his point across without his emotions or his passions ruling his behavior. He wasn't the proverbial bull in a china shop. Man, I've been guilty of that. Goodness gracious me. That was not his conduct. Notice also that he was behaving this way to those who were behaving ungodly, wickedly, and by doing so brought them under his subjection as their commander and later as their king. That's a skillful leader. That's a man who knows how to lead. And oh, he could have, he could have made some bad decisions here. Be, but because he's seeking the Lord again, he doesn't. He could have lost his cool. He could have, he could just gone, could have gone all cattlewampus over things and done all sorts of crazy things. But he didn't because he's listening to the Lord now. I want you to look at a couple verses here. Turn over to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. You want to do what's right? You do what's fair. Do what's just. We turn over just a couple books to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 7. 
Verse 17, verse, chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do good. <clears throat> Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Is that not what David is exhibiting here? But wait, let's go over a couple more books. Over to the book of Micah. Way back there towards the end of the Old Testament. Just a couple books before the end. Micah, in chapter 6, in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. And to love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. Is he getting across what we're called to be as leaders? Oh, wait, let, let's, let's throw James in there. James chapter 3, in verse 17. James 3, 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. And good fruits, impartial and sincere. Listen, aren't the aren't the parables that Jesus taught about the prodigal son and the good Samaritan, among other things, beautiful examples of men that are being just and fair and good to their fellow men? Consider this: is not the most beautiful an appropriate example of dealing justly with others given by our Heavenly Father. A holy and righteous God is He who reigns from the throne of heaven, who, who has stated in His Word, for the wages of sin is death. Are we not told for all His sin and, and fall short of the glory of God? His justice should have killed us before we opened our eyes this morning. That would be just for God. That would have been right. We don't want God's fair. Vadi Bakum says it so beautifully. And that's, that's just a paraphrase, kind of what, what, what Vadi said. But we don't want God to be fair. Because that would put us... That would put us in hell. Oh, but God, but God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In his justice, we have grace and mercy and love and kindness through his son, Jesus Christ. That's being a just and right and fair God. Do we not want leaders in the body of Christ who lead justly and kindly and do it in strength and in firmness? Jesus wasn't afraid of, of confrontation, but he did respond justly when he did. Never went overboard. Even when he cleared out the temple with a whip, he dealt justly, fairly, and righteously with those there. And again, isn't that what we want in a leader? If you think this is easy to be in leadership, I invite you 
to truly come alongside any one of the members of leadership. Come alongside someone in leadership for just a little while. Pastors, elders, deacons, whatever it may be. And I want you to see what it's like. People often want to criticize and talk bad about their leadership. And they have no idea. Your leadership answers to one who is a lot mightier than you are. And if you ever meet anybody on leadership who isn't terrified to one day stand before God and answer for how he's handled himself with his body of believers, he's not a true leader. It should strike the heart and soul of the leader deeply that we are held accountable one day for how we lead. You want to help them? Stop being a voice. Stop being the fever, the fever blister. Stop being the ingrown toenail that constantly aggravates. And lift them up. Encourage them, strengthen them, enable them, edify them until they cross that line of ungodliness and then gently and factually and biblically admonish them and bring them to repentance. And remember, once again, many of you here are leaders outside this church. Your leaders in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, and other places, you are called to be like Christ and to deal with others justly and fairly, just like David did. Last point is this. He prepares for the future. David is wise in preparing for the coming day when he would sit on the throne by being charitable and considerate to his friends and his kin. When all is said and done, David goes a step beyond what many of us what many of us should. And we see that in that last portion of our text, <clears throat> starting in verse 26. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Many a leader would have kept it all for themselves. And for those that were with him, David could have said, hey, who in Judah bothered to come and help David in his hours and days and weeks and months of trial and persecution? Who came to help me? He could have said, who stood with David during all this? Who fought for David against Saul? Who defended him and sought justice for David? None of you all did. No one could say anything. But there were some who at risk of life and limb, who risked all and could be destroyed by Saul at any time for helping these fugitives, just as he did Ahimelech and the priestly family, there were some who stood by David's side. And he names them there in verses 27 uh, through 29. He calls them out. He, he tells you who they are. 
There's something funny about this. I don't know if you notice who's missing. The Ziphites. The men of Keilah. See, one sought to have him destroyed. They were willing to betray David like that. Family was doing that. The other, after being saved by his hand, would seek to turn him over to Saul. Again, family is doing this. No wonder they aren't mentioned as receiving a gift from his hand. He took care of those who had taken care of him. John Gill says of those people, such as had been kind to him when he sojourned among them, so that this was a piece of gratitude, as well as a policy in him, to make his way to the throne easier. He, perceiving the time drawing on for the expiration of the kingdom and the family of Saul, and besides, some of those parts he sent of the spoil, uh, that he sent the spoil to, might have been sufferers at the hands of the Amalekites also. So let's think about this. David was generous. He didn't keep it all for himself, and not even for those in his company, but he used it to serve his countrymen, his family. God had shown great kindness on David, blessed him mightily, and David would in turn bless others that had helped him. David also was filled with thankfulness. They, they in the different areas had showed some kind of kindness to David and his men when they were running from Saul and, and in fear for their lives. We, we don't know exactly how much they did for him. Maybe they gave those men a place to stay and hid them out for a while. Maybe it was a meal received by hungry stomachs. Or maybe uh, it was held with clothes or supplies. Or really, maybe it was just being in a safe place with good company. We see that David was filled with a sense of duty. These were his people. These were his people. He would be their king in just a short while. He was bound to them nationally and spiritually. The same ethnicity, the same faith. Now, now he didn't do all this because he wants to be king. That's not why David did this. It wasn't that David was saying, I'm gonna, I'll do these things so that you know, I'll, I'll get it good with them. He's not schmoozing the voters or buying their votes, making empty campaign promises. He's behaving wisely, knowing what a good leader is called to do. He is preparing for his future and the future of the people of God because that is what is right. So what about all of us in leadership? Are we preparing for the future? Are we preparing the future for ourselves? And are we preparing for the future for the people of God? Are we being generous in all things? With our time, our talents, our abilities, our gifts, our words, our actions, our callings? Are we thankful? Are we thankful for all that the body of Christ has done for us in leadership? People kind of tilt their head and there have been some in the body who have brought us that cold drink of water in the heat of a great trial. 
morsel of bread when we have been spiritually famished. A strong back and arms that has lifted us up out of the mire of conflicts and tribulations. Somebody just sat and listened to us and cried with us. But we as leadership feel that weight of duty to those we have been called to shepherd through this world. Protecting, encouraging, edifying, admonishing for their good and God's glory. Body of Christ, have you stepped up and helped your leadership in this world? That is not only for your duty, it is also your gift to strengthen those over you, those who by God's calling shepherd you in this life. Listen, bring us your concerns. Bring us your concerns in the body. But stop complaining. Get up and walk alongside your leadership as they are trying to walk alongside you. How blessed David was that God gave him skillful leadership abilities that enabled him to bring all these men into one accord and eventually the entire nation of Israel under one throne. That's a blessing that is incomparable. How will the leadership particularly be remembered <coughs> in the decades that follow? I want you to ask that of yourself, those of you who are in leadership here. How will we be remembered 40, 50 years from now? Will we be remembered as good and kind and compassionate and graceful and merciful and, and strong and godly servants? Will we be remembered as being Christ-like? Well, I pray that that would be the legacy that I, like, that I leave here one day. The books are open. And they look at me. And they see a man who's passionate about serving Christ and his body here in this place. And what about the body of Christ? You, here, right now. What is the legacy that will be left in the decades ahead? How will the body be remembered years from now? And listen, leaders, you're deciding that right now. You're deciding that right now in the words and in your actions. How do you say Body of Christ, listen, you're deciding right now what your legacy is going to be. When they look back at 2012 to 2023, it's being decided already. How will this body, how will this leadership be seen and heard 
as our testimony echoes through eternity. Oh, I pray. I pray passionately that it will be for the glory of God. Father, I ask that you that your spirit do the work on our hearts. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning to do a mighty work. Holy Spirit, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would do something in this body of believers here and now that has never been seen before. So that God is glorified and Christ is exalted. We ask this in Christ's name.